I ran out of shaving cream, and I haven't shaved it in about a week. See, here, I have like it's a very it's, it's the startings of like a beard and mustache and everything. Well, it's, it's isn't it mustache November, Movember? Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, I've I've had facial hair in the past, but I never had just a mustache. I had the beard and mustache, the facial hair, or there was a brief time when I was much younger, I had just the beard, kind of the Abe Lincoln look. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I've, I've, I've had both, you know, I've had the facial hair and everything, and it's all right. But for many years now, I just do, do a clean shave. And um, the one thing, though, is the sideburns. I, like, I know you're supposed to leave a little bit of sideburns, but I always forget and just shave them all off. I should probably I should probably address my sideburns, especially because now, right? There's a good start on new sideburns and figure out. <laughs> I don't, I don't want like big mutton chops, but I'm just saying a little bit because I used to have that shaving. Yeah. So what happened was, um, my wife would get me this. Uh, she she would order a lot of stuff from uh, Clinique, the uh, I don't know if it's like skincare company Clinique, right? And in fact, my sister-in-law Carrie used to work at the Clinique at at the mall, I think, in in one of the department stores. And I think also someone that was has been on the the Ansug, uh, was her name Susan, uh, from Texas, from the Andy Kaufman situation. She uh, she also worked at Clinique, I believed. I believe <laughs> believed. I believe she does work. She did work. I don't know if she still does. I think that was her, if not someone else. Clinique. Anyway, so my wife would buy me the, the Clinique men's product, uh, the shaving cream and then the aftershave. Because, like, when she was ordering her stuff, she's like, oh, do you want me to order more of that? And I think, yeah, it's pretty good. It's fine. It's, you know, it's it's a good shaving cream. And so she, at one point, I forget when it was, she bought me, like, a ton of them. Like, there was a closet. There was, like, 20 of them or something. It was, like, like this huge order. I don't know if she had to go over a certain price to get to get some sort of discount or something. So I had like this infinite supply of shaving cream. I never had to worry about it. <laughs> and then I think I also had some Nivea. I think I had some Nivea. I don't know why I had the Nivea also, but uh, I felt like I never was going to run out. And um, I had that thing where there, I had two. They're like little can, like metal cans, but it, it comes out, I think, just through air pressure. I don't think it's aerosolized. Is that the right way to air it? pressurized or whatever I don't know <laughs> it must be pressurized but there's no accelerant you know what I'm talking about remember the old days when they, if anything that I guess it, I guess like the underarm deodorant was the stuff that they said was destroying the ozone layer you know remember that big scare do you use right guard you're destroying the air you're destroying the air itself if you use right guard remember if you spray it on your underarms you're like do you understand the ozone layer is going to get destroyed and every everyone will, will be fried by ultraviolet rays because of you, you jerk. <laughs> Why don't you use, like, ban roll-on instead? Come on. But anyway, so so it, it <coughs> I had, I was using two of the cans at once. For some reason, I, like, I kept mixing them up in the drawer. Like, I would use one, then I'd use the other one. These things happen, you know. Uh, see, this this is one of the little details of life in, in the early 21st century that you wouldn't really, like, people wouldn't really know about in the year 8000, you know? Like, sometimes if you have two cans of something, like, you know, for example, shaving cream, 
and it's in a drawer, and the drawer gets kind of jumbled up a bit, you may use one, then the other one, and then, like, just get confused about it, you know? We're not all that disciplined in terms of, like, yes, this is absolutely the one I'm using now, especially if it's, like, just jumbled up in a drawer, you know? Do you even have drawers in the year 8000? I mean, I would they even need drawers in the year 8000? I mean, do we? why do we need drawers? Because you got to put stuff in it. But you could just stick something somewhere... You, well, it's drawers are similar to shelves, but it kind of seals them up. You know what I mean? They're kind of hidden away. Like you could put your clothes on a shelf, but then you put them in a drawer. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. Wh- why don't what? Hmm. <coughs> Maybe it's so like moths don't get to them or something. Like, like remember like that that old problem like people. What was going on in the past? Like people had had moths like eating their clothes constantly, so they had to like maybe that's why they invented drawers because moths would come in and eat all your clothes in the middle of the night. Remember, you need like those those cedar chips or those those weird wax things with the weird smells to get rid of the moths. But yeah, a drawer. Well, a drawer is just also out of sight, out of mind. You don't want to sit. Have to. This is the main thing. You don't want to stare at your underwear constantly. It's in a drawer, you know. Yeah, it just sort of seals stuff up. And then, you know, in, in a common area, drawers hide things like from prying eyes. You don't want other people to see your, your stuff, your junk. It's just, and it's, you know, and it also if, if things fall down inside a drawer, they stay inside the drawer. It's all sealed up, you know. I, I mean, there's something that we just sort of take for granted, drawers. But I, th- I think that in the, in the future, in theory, we won't need drawers anymore. The idea is, you know, you have stuff, Right. But it's all kept in some sort of storage area and managed by some sort of automated system, right? So if you don't need it at the moment, you can just you, you know, put it down and the AI system running your house will know, oh, just put, put it in the, in the storage area, right? And that could be run however, probably with, with shelves and stuff, right? Um, and when you need something, most likely, like if you, if you need to shave – your AI will just know it's time to sh- it's that, that you want to shave, and it'll just sort of you walk in the bathroom, and then your shaving cream and your razor will be there, right? It'll 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 anticipate your every move. Or in the case where you're being kind of you know it's something kind of out of the ordinary, you can just say, oh please, can I have my uh, my tweezers or something, and then it'll just sort of it'll br- bring them to you immediately. But right, you won't really need drawers and stuff. How am I saying that? Drawers, drawers, drawers. Drawers. How am I saying drawers? It is D R A W E R. Drawers. They draw open and close drawers. It's something weird about the pronunciation of that. Drawers. I think it's, yeah, almost like doors, but drawers. <laughs> so couldn't you spell it D R O O R S? Drawers. Yes, you could, but you shouldn't. That's not the proper spelling. Anyway. So, um,. Yeah, so I, I, I uh, you know, I ran out of shaving cream, and uh, so like, there's a, l- I know there's a little bit left in this one, the one, uh, the last Clinique one. There's a little tiny bit left, and I could probably shave with it. But as I, I've been sort of waiting day by day. Now that it's the, the, it's, it's a, a longer growth. Like I want to make sure I have enough shaving cream because it, because it's, you know, when it's more hair, right? It's b- better to have more cream on there. To help, 
I mean, you could shave without shaving cream with just with the razor. You know, it just it probably would. Would it hurt you? I don't know. Did I ever try it? I mean, some, sometimes you do touch ups like after you're done shaving and you look it's, oh, it's a little bit left on my chin. You don't have to put more shaving cream on. You just take the razor and go and you get it done. So in theory, you, I guess you could shave without shaving cream. But it just seems like it helps the process along. Right. Smooths things out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. I mean, it's essentially you're you're basically slicing your skin with razor blades. OK, you need all the help you can get. I know it's at an angle, but you know what I'm saying. You need all the help you can get. The, the, you know, so I don't know. Hopefully if it comes, I really feel like I need a shave. Hopefully the shaving cream will come soon. And as soon as it comes, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. So I ordered it yesterday for uh, the overnight shipping. That's what it's like these days. You know, instead of having, going to the store, oh, let me put it on my shopping list. Just go on Amazon and just order it. And, uh, you know, so I was looking only for the stuff I could get next day, you know, on next day shipping Amazon Prime. And uh, it was all it, for the for the men's shaving cream is pretty much Nivea's pretty much the uh, the only game in town. I don't know how Nivea. What is Nivea? I don't even know where that company came from. Nivea. But uh, so they only sell like at you had to get like three packs. I'm like, all right, I, I could always use extra shaving cream. Um, and there's different formulas of Nivea. One is for sensitive skin. Like, do I have sensitive skin? I don't even know. One of the one of them is has the cooling effect, and I guess that's if you have robust skin and you want to feel cool, you get the cooling effect. And then there's another one which is um, moisturizing. Now you'd think they could just throw. Couldn't there be moisturizing for sensitive skin and cooling effect in one? But I understand there's some sort of marketing theory that you want to you want to give people the illusion of choice, even though who even knows it, how different. The actual shaving cream is inside. Um, when you give people the, when you give people a choice, which one do you want? Like it encourages them to buy it. I guess I don't know. So I just based my choice on which which of the bottles was less annoying to look at. So I think I got the moisturizing one, which had sort of a darker blue color scheme. Because you know you have to sit and stare at it. I, it'll be in my drawer, but every time I open my drawer, I have to, I have to look at this crap. I want the most attractive looking bottle I could find. <laughs> You know, it's like a metal cylinder kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to shaving today. And I don't know. Are there any, like, what's this story on sideburns? You know, like, what's the sideburn recommendation? Um, I don't know. Should I look this up? Ideal sideburn length. <laughs> yeah. I need my ideal sideburn length. Let's see. Ideal. <clears throat> Midpoint of, of the ear. Okay. How long should sideburns be? Okay. There's a lot of articles about this. People are very concerned about sideburns. All right. Mojo, what's going on? Mojo Fuzzle the cat here. What's going on? Kitty, what's the matter? He's been kind of hyper this morning for some reason. Always have, so this is they're saying always have sideburns. There have been periods of time where men didn't really didn't really sport sideburns those were dark times never trim above the middle of the ear all right so this this, this may be a good thing this this may had i not run out of uh, shaving cream um i may not have uh 
thought about the whole sideburn issue. <laughs> these these are all kind of like these are not the most important things, but because I haven't had sideburns for a while and it really hasn't affected my life really. I don't know. Maybe people looked at me. Uh, Where's this guy's sideburns? What the hell's wrong with this guy? I, I they didn't say anything. Like people don't generally walk. Hey, excuse me, dude. What's up? Where's your sideburns, dude? Like people don't usually say that. You know, it's not really that important. I never noticed that, but I'm not. I don't really. I don't know if I'm that observant of that sort of stuff. But what's interesting is kind of synchronistic. Is you know, the other day I did watch. Uh, I think it was on the last episode or two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, I uh, was uh, playing a little bit of that movie, the Beatles movie, uh, Hard Day's Night from 64, right? I think it's 64. Fantastic movie. I rewatched the entire movie. Just utterly perfect movie. One of my favorite movies of all time, A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. And there's that scene where uh, Shake, their their assistant, the assistant guy, um, they're in the bathroom and... He's he's sort of asking George Harrison to show him how to shave. And what does he say? Honestly, oh, I'll, let me just find the scene. I'll play it for you. So he, he shows him how to shave with shaving cream. He's like, I can't help it. I come from a long line of electricians. He only knew how to use an electric razor. Hold on. I'll find it for you. Hold on. All right. Well, let me change. Cloakroom charge. Cloakroom oh, charge. Go, yeah, the bathroom scene well. is great. John Lennon is being so hyper in the bathtub, Play, playing with like little little toy ships and stuff. Good morning, my <laughs> Come see now, guy. Tea harbor. <laughs> ah, she fits the Englander. Pretty boggy. Keep Britain tiny. I'll oh, go on, George. Don't be ridiculous. See, I guess I guess there is that phrase, "Keep Britain." T- um, Tidy, you know, like don't, you know, sort of, sort of like our old thing, like pitch in. Remember, pitch in was the big catchphrase the government came up with, so people would stop littering all the time, right? So I guess the, their phrase was keep keep Britain tidy, but then it was sort of keep Britain tiny was a, a you know, they, I guess in reference to the old British Empire, that Britain is now tiny compared to its once great empire. Keep it tiny. But you said I could. Honestly, my mind boggles at the very idea. A grown man and you haven't shaved with a safety razor. It's not my fault. I come from a long line of electricians. Well, you're not practicing on me. All right, then. But show us. Oh, come on, then. <laughs> They're using Old Spice shaving cream, and he's putting the shaving cream on the mirror, but Shake is there exactly lined up with it. So it definitely is a synchronicity, right? Like the razor, the, the shaving cream and the Beatles and then my own shaving cream situation. You know, yeah. I don't know. How did those two things in- intermingle? Again. I, I should really I should try to find a transcript to see exactly what he's saying in the bathtub. There's a few things I can't figure out what he's saying. The German and what he just said. Come on, lads, the car waiting to take it to the studio. Hey, where's John? <laughs> see, this is a bit of that surrealism. 
just like when they're on the train and then they're outside the train running beside the train. Now, now John has disappeared. He's not in the bathtub anymore. And the, and the manager guy is concerned that he just sort of disappeared down the drain or something. All right, Lennon, let's have you. Pulls the plug. Come on, John, stop lacking about. John, what happened? John. John. <laughs> Let me find that transcript. All right, let's see. And I don't know if this is completely accurate, but your winnings, my lord, 190 pounds. What about me change? Cloakroom charge? Ah, well, easy come, easy go. Well, ah, the filthy Englander. And here it says keep boating tiny, but it, I think it has to be keep Britain tiny, right? Keep boating tiny? Go on, George. Don't be ridiculous. But you said I could. Me mind boggles at the very idea. A grown man, and you haven't shaved with a safety razor. It's not my fault. I come from a long line of electricians. Well, you're not practicing on me. All right, then, but show us. Come on, then. Rule Britannia, Britannia, rule the... Put your tongue away. It looks disgusting hanging there. One slip of the razor in. Heinrich, headphones, help. Torpedoed again, eh? Hmm. I don't know. There's something wrong with these transcripts. Doesn't he say more German stuff? All right, this transcript sucks, okay? How about the screenplay? Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm going down these rabbit holes of, of pointlessness, Okay. Pointless rabbit holes. All right, I'll look for the word torpedo. It's the only time they use the word torpedoed. Oh, the first four letters are torp, like torpor. What is torpor? That's kind of like a state of semi-consciousness. Torpedoed again, eh? Hold on. No, I'm not finding it. Hmm. Huh. So maybe it, maybe that whole scene wasn't in the uh, the original screenplay. Bathtub? No. Wait a minute. <coughs> come on. There has to be something. I'll come from a long line of electricians. Let's see. No. Maybe, maybe the entire scene was improvised. Is is there some sort of annotated version? I need I need to understand this more. Okay. All right. I, I know what I can look for. Cloakroom cloakroom charge. No, nothing. Urgh. Yeah, it's weird. It, do, it doesn't seem that uh, the, the, the original script has, has any of those scenes in it. Curious. And in a somewhat similar pop culture vein, let's uh, stay in England and move to 1967 with the TV show The Prisoner. Yes, uh, I decided to rewatch The Prisoner and found out that I really didn't watch too much of the episodes the first time around. I know I'd seen some Prisoner episodes, but um, having now watched all 17, I, I realized that um, I must have only seen a handful of episodes. And I just have to say, wow, 
This is, I, I think, one of the most important TV shows ever made. So unique, so different, and that final episode, which I have to say, for those of you familiar with it, I had no idea I w- what I was going to be seeing with that final episode, Fallout. No idea. What an amazing episode. Because towards the tail end of the season, there's a few episodes that were kind of like, not that great. And then it just comes to this once upon a time, the penultimate episode, which is this weird psychological drama in this in this room, number two and number six and the butler, and finally Fallout, where everything just... And the Beatles are... The, there's a Beatles song in it. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, All You Need Is Love is in the episode. And apparently, I read somewhere that <coughs> the Beatles were fans of this show, The Prisoner, and when they gave the rights to use their song, they gave extra rights so that it it could be uh, sort of perpetually licensed to be used in future releases of The Prisoner. Because I couldn't believe it, because usually... When there's a song like that in a TV show, they'd have to edit it out, you know, for the rights, the, the music rights. But in this case, it was in there. And I was totally surprised by it. I was able to watch Fallout without any preconceived notions. I can't believe I never saw it before. I've been talking to people about The Prisoner, and a, a lot of people I talk to have never even heard of this show. Um, anyway, uh, I have to say this was just, it is amazing. And the series itself, um, I would say, goes through different phases and stages. <coughs> um, right, The setup is number six, is the only way we know him, was a secret agent of some sort. In the opening sequence, he, he quits and he's about to go away somewhere. And then he's gassed and he wakes up in the village. It's kind of like this prison for people that know too much. And um, he's he's now number six. And the the head of the, the leader of the village is named number two, and number one is always behind the scenes. And in the beginning, well, let me just play you like the, uh, a little bit of the opening sequence here. Right. Hold on. Thunder, right? of that incredible car was that the Lotus he has this really cool car the license plate is car 120C I I almost bought a t-shirt that had that license plate on it there we are in London he's driving his really cool little car really interesting guy is Patrick McGowan I think this really this is his big claim to fame as the prisoner which he also co-created and wrote and directed some of the episodes he's walking down a corridor here he looks very angry and in- intense. Bursting into the office of his boss, you assume, who's actually the co-creator of the series, I think. He, you see him talking, but you don't hear him. He, he puts his resignation letter, and then he drives out, and he's resigned. They X out his photo. They X out his photo, which apparently is a photo from uh, Danger Man, right? Or Secret Agent. Puts in the, the resign file. Patrick McGowan in. And then he goes back to his, his apartment. And uh-oh, here's an ominous black car. <coughs> He's getting his suitcases ready. See, um, may, may, may I criticize his, his... He should have gotten it. He should have gotten packed before, before he resigned. You know, 
he shouldn't even have gone he should have known not even to go back to his apartment you know but then there would be no tv show so what am i talking about <coughs> and that font <coughs> the font they use in the titles and also in the village everywhere is this particular font i gotta find out what the font that font was here's this creepy guy in a top hat as as he's getting ready gasses him he puts gas through the keyhole and he, he gets gassed and he gets knocked out what happened the world is spinning so this is at the beginning of each episode they have this little recap thing so he wakes up it looks like his room is he back home did he fall asleep what happened then he looks out the window and he's in a different place the village dance of the dead that's this episode In the village. What do you want? Information. Whose side are you on? That would be telling. Oh, I guess, see, because, like, <coughs> the uh, the concept is there's always a new number two, right? Every, every almost every, <coughs> almost every episode is a different number two. This one, there's a, only a couple times was there a woman as number two. So I guess they, they do the number two voice in these openings? That's interesting. Information. Information. You won't get it. By hook or by crook. We will. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? <laughs> you are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> So, and I, I remember this guy Mark I used to work with. Like we somehow we were talking about the prisoner, and he, and he was talking about theories that everyone was wondering who was number one, which is uh, sort of addressed in the final episode. But that line, um, you know, I am number two. Who is number one? You are number six, right? But uh, that phrase could also be, and this is what this guy Mark was saying, you are number, who is number one? You are number six, right? Trying to tell him that he is number one. Um, but anyway, the show has a real surreal edge to it, right? Every episode is a little bit different. It feels like you're in a little bit of a different world. Or the scenario is slightly different, but the idea is that he's been taken to the village so they can find out why he resigned. He doesn't know who runs the village, what side are you on at that point? The Cold War, you know, Russia, you know, Soviet Union versus uh, you know the the NATO allies, um, and they're always trying to use these different techniques to get him to talk and get the information, right? And there's always an, as each number two fails, there's a new number two. And uh, and a lot of you know, there's there's some episode like the one episode where he 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 wakes up and the village is like abandoned and he winds up like on this boat. He winds up back in England, but then he finds then he winds up back in the village again. And then there's a few. I guess the 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 low point of the series was "Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling," where uh, Patrick McGowan was off to America to film a movie called Ice Station Zebra. 
And so they had this other actor playing him using a mind transference um, setup. That was pretty bad because it also introduced all these additional things, a fiancé and all all these story elements that really weren't, um, you know, particularly in, in the story otherwise. And then the, the, that's followed, again, the sequence of the shows is in question, but on the one I have, that's followed by Living in Harmony, which is like a Western. <laughs> it's just like, he's, he, it's sort of similar. He quits the, his job as a sheriff and he winds up in this village called Harmony. And it's like a, it's like a western. Um, and then there, then the the one after that is the girl who was death, which is a very different episode where it's it's almost like a comedy episode where this woman's trying to kill him in all these different ways, and he's dressed up as Sherlock Holmes. Very confusing. And then there's um, once upon a time. That's the one where number two kind of like sort of like hypnotizes number number to number six to feel like he's a, he's like a, an infant or a child brings him to this room. It's like this chamber and it's sealed. And at that point, one or the other of them has to like die. And, and then the Butler's in there with him, like the, the diminutive Butler guy. Um, and that one also is kind of hard to watch. It's like this weird, like psychodrama, which finally leads to the final episode fallout. So after at the end of that one, these were all spoilers. But this shows this show is as old as me. In fact, it's funny because um, its original airing in 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 the UK, um, it the the very first episode, the arrival aired September twenty ninth, nineteen sixty seven, which was just four days before I was born. And so in in, in I was so the first episode aired, and then I was born on October third, nineteen sixty seven, and then the second episode aired the next week on October sixth. So I came into the world around the same time as the prisoner. Am I a prisoner in this world? Well, believe me, it's crossed my mind, but I think it's crossed everyone's mind. Uh, because this, the show is very allegorical, as they, they call it an allegorical show. You know, how did you get to the village? Well, how did I get to this planet Earth? You know? The idea that we're sort of imprisoned here on this planet, in our bodies, in our situations, resonates definitely. Um, but anyway, so this show basically is—it's in the spy-fi genre, so it's uh, kind of you know like James Bond or all those other ones, where it's you know spies and the Cold War and espionage, and uh, that's a good word, espionage. Um, is that where spies come from? They do espionage, espionage, right? So it's it's kind of using that genre, but to sort of delve into deeper issues. And uh, the final episode, and again, I'm going to talk about it because it's spoilers, but again, this show is 55 years old. Um, in the end, he goes to this other chamber, and he's sort of. It almost seems like he's going to become the new number one, right? And it goes, it's absolutely bizarre. He goes through this, this, this corridor with um, jukeboxes. I, I can play that scene because I have it right here. I love this audio player, this video player called Pot Player. It's such a great video player. It's so easy to use. The Prisoner. The final episode. For better or worse. Ah. Uh. 
So now he's going to be taken to meet number one. And then there's that bald guy that, that works in like the operations department. Him and, and the, the butler are the only two other like recurring characters on the whole series. And number two is always someone different. And by the way, this show is available is available on the um, the free services like the Roku channel and stuff. Or you can just there's many ways to watch it, but you can watch it for free with commercials if you want to. As yourself. See, it starts off here, and there's like a mannequin of Patrick McGowan. And there's all these empty clothes hangers. Something very s symbolic about all this. And then the Beatles song comes up. I was shocked by this. All these jukeboxes, a corridor of jukeboxes playing the Beatles. It's really cool of the Beatles to, you know, make sure that uh, the show can have the rights to play the song. I wonder when they show it on Roku channel if they can can they play the Beatles though? They probably can, I think. Well why wonder? Let's let's uh let's go to the Roku channel. The prisoner. Fall out. Let's let's see if we can find that. I'm curious. Let's see. I oh, know it's Plut Pluto TV. I watched it on right Pluto TV. Yeah, let's see if they can. I'm sure we'll have to watch like a million ads, but I want to see if we can uh, <coughs> get this going here. Come on! It says it's playing, but it's not playing. Hmm. Now wait a minute. What does it want me to watch? Scrooged? What the hell? What is that movie Scrooged with uh, Bill Murray? Can I, I can't fast forward. Is that? Is that? Are you kidding? Are you? All right, hold on, hold on. We can do that. Yeah. Also, self-contained. Let me see. All right, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if they can play the Beatles on on like an, an actual streaming service. Oh, yeah, they give credit to the hotel in Wales. Oh, yeah, here's the mannequin, okay, that we just saw. Yeah, they can play the Beatles on Pluto TV. Corridor. So the, so the episode is just completely bonkers. It just, it's it really crazy. And uh, <coughs> that guy... Who, who was like the kid in the Western episode. He's back here as, as a, uh, a you know revolutionary. They bring the other, the, the number two back to life. And um, yeah, this is this whole like jury of people, this whole group of people with those masks that are black on the left side or right on the right side. And finally he gets to see number one he pulls off the mask and it's a chimpanzee underneath. He pulls off the chimpanzee mask and it's him. Right? 
I am number two. Who is number one? You are number six. Or you are number six. <coughs> I also read that Patrick McGowan wrote the script for Fallout 48 hours before they had to start filming. But it's just amazing because like, this room they were in is actually like part of a truck. It's just all so unexpected. Um, but I think the idea is that in a way, number one was Patrick McGowan, the person who was in basically running the show. Because by that point, his co-creator had sort of quit. So he, w- he was the sole uh, producer or the, or the overseer, the showrunner at that point. And, um, right? and this is interesting because it actually relates to this idea of closure right on television and right the whole there's that video online that interprets Twin Peaks as a critique of the need for closure on every TV episode there's a murder and and during the episode you investigate and then you find closure you find out who done it so Twin Peaks was supposed to the intent of it was it was supposed to create it was supposed to be a show that never resolved who done it although they did eventually they were sort of forced into it, apparently. In this case, the show had all these mysteries, you know. Why did number six uh, resign? Who runs the village? Where did it come from? <coughs> um, and um, and so it's sort of like on the show, number two keeps demanding answers from number six. And... Um, in real life, the general public, the viewing audience, is demanding answers from Patrick McGowan, right? So there's a strange parallel going on there, and there's a lot of parallels going on there. So in the end, uh, just like in the story, how number six never gave up the information, the TV show also never gives up the information. But we, the viewer, are in the position of demanding answers, right? from Patrick McGowan who's created this show and so I think it makes great total sense that this episode is just completely bonkers and um, you know in the end they sort of escape to London but then there's some suggestion that he may still be in the village because he has that automatic door and the butler is in his house I thought it was absolutely fantastic but people at the time were outraged by this episode they were expecting closure and I don't know, I mean, a lot of, I've been, there's so many interpretations and essays about this episode, and I think that some of them did mention this <clears throat> angle that, um, you know, <clears throat> this demand for answers and demand for televisional comfort and closure <coughs> sort of goes against the spirit of the thing or the spirit of the art. So anyway, I was inc- enormously impressed by... Uh, Fallout, because I, I had a hard time watching, especially uh, the girl who was death and Once Upon a Time was just kind of, I mean, the girl who was death was not really a great episode, but Once Upon a Time was a great episode, but it was just, it's just hard to watch. It's creepy. It's weird. It's claustrophobic. And then Fallout just ends the series. Wow. And um, there, there was a 2009 remake, and I just started watching ba- the bare first minutes of it. It's universally panned, but at the beginning, there's a guy who they had wanted to get Patrick McGowan because he was still alive at the time 
to sort of play this old guy that dies. And I thought it was when I was watching it. It was someone who looked like an old Patrick McGoohan. And when he dies, he's like, be seeing you, which is like the catchphrase that they say in the village. Be seeing you. Putting like, forming your thumb and index finger into a circle, which is now considered a very objectionable, right? Remember people used to do that to say, okay, but now doing that with your hand is considered, uh, on the one hand, forming like 666, right? Your other three fingers sort of, or three sixes superimposed. So it's like a satanic kind of thing, or it's like a white supremacist kind of thing. But that's what they did. And they, they put up their eye, be seeing you, definitely like an Illuminati-ish uh, overtones. And uh, what's that, that guy, uh, is it Jim Caviezel or not? <coughs> Let me see. The Prisoner 2009. I'm not expecting much, but I feel since I'm trying to, you know, check out all the Prisoner stuff, I may as well check this one out. Jim Caviezel, yeah. And Ian McKellen is in it too, wow. Great. So yeah, a little connection to the original show. Let's see. But it's like a weird desert or something. It's not the village yet. But the thing about the village is it was so, like, it's a prison, but it's so weird. Like, who are the people that are there? They're always marching around, playing trumpets and <coughs> carrying umbrellas. And why? It's creepy because it has this sort of cheerful exterior. <coughs> on AMC 2009. He's stuck in this desert. You, I mean, you wonder why they remake something like this. If, if there is any TV show I thought I, I would think would should never be remade, it's The Prisoner. Ian McKellen. 2009 seems like such a long time ago now, doesn't it? It is kind of a long time ago. Isn't it like uh, uh, t- 12 years ago? Right? Wait. 13 years ago. Okay, 13 years ago. I guess that's kind of a long time ago. Right, whatever, I'll watch that later. What do you want? And then uh, talk about remakes. This is actually not a remake. It's just a continuation. <laughs> they made. They brought back Willow. Remember Willow, the, the, the Lucasfilm movie from the 80s, like a fantasy movie? Now it's back as a TV series <coughs> with some of the same actors, right? And apparently, very sadly, Val Kilmer um, wanted to re- – you know, they asked him to return uh, for his character Mad Mardigan. And uh, he wanted to, but he had cancer and stuff, and that was all during the pandemic. He, did, he, felt, he didn't feel it was safe to go film – with his condi- his health condition, so he I guess he didn't get involved, which is very sad. But I'm about how long into it? Twenty seven minutes into the first episode, and it's just horrible so far. Why would you need to c- make something new? Don't make more Willow, you know. Fighting that witch. It just it just didn't seem like a story that needed to be continued. You know, the story was pretty flimsy in the original movie and from the eighties. I remember when there were rumors of this movie, it sounded so stupid that 
people were saying it was a uh, um, it was like a, a code name for the next they're actually making a secret Star Wars movie instead of Willow but it turned out it was just Willow it wasn't a secret Star Wars movie took him I think he's what they came for I was up in the tower and I didn't yeah, know it's really bad so far not that I would have expected anything different from Disney <coughs> but of course they're uh, that Andor TV show kind of makes up for all their other failings that was so good But anyway, back to the prisoner. Um, yeah, the show really amazing. You know, the, the fact that they could use a giant white balloon as this like security system that just sort of like starts suffocating you, and it sort of come, you know, sort of the bubble sort of forms deep in the ocean. It just seems so weird and surreal, but it just works. Like the sound effects they use, they call it rover. These these uh, white weather balloons, I think they're using. Um, so bizarre and unique. And, uh, you know, each of, like the, the best episodes are just taking place in the village. Like there's a one where, was it Free For All, where they want number six to run uh, to be the new number two, right? And just how he's constantly resisting and not following the rules and being punished for resisting. Um, and the interaction and there's always sort of all the, the cast is always completely different again only that bald guy in the operation center and, and the butler are the only consistent characters right and then everyone else is different it's like this really interesting conceit there's a new number two and like all the people in the village are different it's so interesting and uh, and I know that Patrick McGowan was talking about how it was kind of Right, the ultimate evil was sort of your own ego or your own your or your own dark side, right? As opposed to some external force. So anyway, I mean the show operates at a bunch of different levels, but I mean it was absolutely fantastic. I strongly recommend it. And uh it's you know, in mentioning it to people, I think this show is kind of I thought it was super famous and super popular, but apparently not anymore. I guess there haven't really been many vectors for people to approach it in, in recent decades. You know, it's just not front and center to the point that I never even watched the whole thing. I only saw a few episodes, but I was familiar with it. And I'm probably my familiarity with it was from magazines. I'm sure the one magazine that was so important uh, back in the 70s and 80s was Starlog. And I and we subscribed at one point to Starlog magazine, a science fiction and you know, entertainment magazine. Covered all of the you know, movies and TV shows and everything related to sci-fi. I'm sure that's where I they must have had an article about the prisoner in there, um, where I first sort of un- found out about it. But it's something like that, familiarity just from browsing through a magazine. And uh, something else related to The Prisoner and The Beatles 
uh, that I did mention, I think, when I was in the mall a week or two ago, is uh, a band called The New Number Two. Let me see if I can find a reference to it here. Yeah, that band, it's, it's spelled T-H-E-N-E-W-N-O-2, all lowercase, no spaces. Um, they're an English alternative rock band from London, originally composed of Danny Harrison, that's George Harrison from The Beatles' Son, and Oliver Hex. Hmm. They're still going? They're, they're still going. Wow. Because I remember I got, let's see, let's see if we can find, if they're on uh, streaming. Yeah. This is, this is album from 2008. You are here. Yes. How does it go? Yeah. And remember, I got this on that super obscure format. Um, like, this music is okay, but kind of forgettable. And I... Right. He sounds a little bit like George Harrison, right? Anyway. What was the name of that format? This is pissing me off. Clip music? Was it clip called clip music? Clip music. No, clip. Hold on a second. Yes, here is my episode. The Rambler number 132, December 3rd, 2008. Sitting at a table outside in Bryant Park. On a cold and windy night, Frank discusses buying eight copies of Venus Zine. Liz Shaw... And review the Sansa slot music player. Slot music, that was the name of it. He just bought it at Best Buy, as well as the album You Are Here by the new number two in the slot music format. Yeah, so, so yeah. I guess we can listen to a little bit of that, right? Hold on a second. Yeah. Rampler 132. Yeah. Hey, it's the Rampler. Hey, hey, Rampler. What's up, Rampler? It's so it's so weird for me now, actually, because I've been listening to some of the, my really early stuff from like 2004, 2005, and this is from 2008. The fact that I've been doing this show for such a long time, and just like my perception of my younger self, and it's like just weird. It's like I've been doing it this long, and that was me. It's wild. PM on Wednesday, December third, two thousand eight, and I'm uh, sitting here at a table. In the park, in Bryant Park, and uh, look at the scene here. They they had this whole shopping uh, thing set up here. Uh, it, it's almost like they, they turned the park into a shopping mall. There's so much stuff. There's a Saban over there. The uh, the store that sells like facial. It is a long time ago. That's what I'm, I'm sitting here. Yeah. I tried to find a spot fourteen years ago. Out of uh, you know, I don't want to sit right in front of a store. Um, it's, it's chilly out. It's cold. You know? I do remember. Like I remember doing this recording. So it kind of stands out in my mind. And of course, over to my left here, uh, the main part of the park is taken off by a very large skating rink. Yes, there's even a second level where people can sit. And uh, so they must have just started doing that at that I guess point. I, I don't know if it's a restaurant. I don't know what it is. There's a lot going on in this park. They built this thing. Well, they, this is a very multi-use park. They they have Fashion Week here, and they take the whole. So here, you for example, um, slot music. Oh wow! Look, yeah, someone's selling it. 
Oh, slot music format? It's not, it's not available. That's what I bought, though. But here's someone is selling uh, a slot music Jimmy Buffett album for 100 bucks because it is really collectible. It's just this weird, it, one of the last physical formats, slot music. Um, there's that, that, that little tiny uh, micro SD card. I mean, let me try to fast forward to the part where I'm talking about the slot music. Let me find that. Which today sounds like just nothing, but and I bought this gray market Iowa player. I was talking about mini disc. Okay, let's fast forward. So I was obsessed with it, and and uh, and uh, you know the batteries, and I bought and a, and a music. All right, <laughs> my hand is starting to get cold here. Let me just show you here. All right, I got the so the player. Okay, it's nineteen ninety nine. It's just twenty bucks for the player, right? I still have it, but and it's music, busted. Which is, you know, one chip and a, an album is fourteen ninety nine. So basically, really, that sounds pretty cheap. With all, you know the massive New York City taxes and everything, it was wow. So I, I got the album and the player for like cheap. Uh, it's not once you get yeah thirty seven ninety one. So I mean, it's still not super cheap. Interesting. Like, it's cheap enough that to do a, a cool experiment like this. So. Anyway, here here is the slot, the music player. So this is it's it's a really small player. It's about the size of a lighter. Um, it comes with headphones and a battery, right? Uh, it's called Sansa Sandisk a slot music player. You can also buy you can also buy they have a couple players that have music already. They have the chip already with them, uh, like the, like ABBA's greatest hits or um, that guy Robin Thicke. I, I have no interest in that. I mean. I had that ABBA's Greatest Hits years ago, but I really am done with that. I don't need to hear any more ABBA. So I, I got the slot music. It's called Sansa Slot Music Player. They have this logo. So what I'm saying about this format, first of all, is it's not like you, you're forced to buy this player. You can you can use this, it, and, it, and, and when you buy an album, it comes with a USB adapter. So you can transfer it to your computer, put it on any player, listen to it on anything, or you could plug the card directly into a phone or a player that has that. It's, it, it's much more versatile than... Uh, something like a mini disc where you need a mini disc player to hear it, right? So it's not like this is an all or nothing kind of thing. It's kind of it's just kind of anyway. Cool you got the idea. You can listen to the Rampler One Thirty Two in the archive. Yes. Look at this one though. This is also for a hundred bucks. You can get another slot music chip. Thirty premium hits of the eighties. Wow. <laughs> <coughs> What do they have here? Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield, 8675309 by Tommy Two-Tone, Walk Like an Egyptian by The Bangles, I Ran by Flock of Seagulls, 99 Luftballons by Nina, Hold Me Now, Thompson Twins, I Want Candy, Bow Wow Wow. <coughs> Pretty good so far. Freeway of Love, Aretha Franklin, You're a Friend of Mine, Clarence Clemens and Jackson Brown. Hmm. I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. See, it, it, it was good. Now it's getting worse. Rosanna by Toto. Never Gonna Give You Up. Rick Astley. I love that song. Goody Two Shoes at a Mint. And I'm gonna keep on loving you, Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> Baby, I Love Your Way, Freebird by Will to Power. Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean. Come on, Feel the Noise, Quiet Riot. Der Commissar, After the Fire. Don't turn around. Uh oh. The commissars in town. Uh oh. Of course, d- down under. By men at work with their Vegemite sandwich. Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project. One of my favorites. 
Fantasy Aldo Nova, It's Rain and Men, Hallelujah, The Weather Girls, Hall and Oates with Maneater, Whoa, Here She Comes, Pretty in Pink by Psychedelic Furs, Take Me Home Tonight, Eddie Money, Talking in Your Sleep Romantics, I'm Here, The Secrets That You Keep When You're Talking in Your Sleep, The Warrior by Patti Smythe, not Patti Smith, You Spin Me Round and Round, Dead or Alive, Your Love by the Outfield and Girls Just Want to Have Fun, one of the most overplayed 80s songs ever by Cindy Lauper. But a pretty good collection. How much? How much is this now? A hundred bucks. Oh, only. Oh, it's on sale for seventy nine dollars. Wow. But I, I, I don't know. This is like to, to, to sort of. This is a cool collectible if you're into such things. But I, I, I can't really focus my energy on such things. I like the cover too. I want it. Only $79. I can't afford that crap. Stop it. Anyway, I have a uh, synchronicity to report here. Uh, you know, last episode, where um, the cover art was based on an episode called Ignatius Wallops. Um, I got on the topic of root beer chewing gum, and uh, I was very surprised to see that on the episode Ignatius Wallops from uh, February of this year, I also talked about root beer chewing gum. It's so weird because, yeah, the art was uh, the new show art I did for the Rootin' Tootin' Extreme of Valley was uh, was based on, I used the show art from Ignatius Wallops, uh, Overnight Escape 1886, as a starting point. And in both episodes, I talked about root beer chewing gum. And I know subconsciously, maybe I I associated the show art with the topic, but I have no conscious memory of it, how I got in the same topic uh, both episodes. Weird stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Um, I also wanted to continue with this jargon watch. <coughs> Last time we looked at Wired Magazine from January, February, and March 1994. And they have a little uh, little feature called Jargon Watch. All the new terms that were cropping up in 1994. So let's let's do uh, April, May, June, shall we? This is the. Let's check out these issues of Wired magazine. April issue has uh, Bill Gates on the cover. Oh no, Mr. Bill. Him looking kind of distressed. And then uh, the May issue. Here come the zippies. Is some sort of new techno hippies or something? That didn't happen. Listen, people in the 90s thought a lot of stuff was going to happen. That just didn't happen. And uh, Spy versus Spy on uh, the June issue, you know, the classic Mad Magazine. <coughs> this, in this case, it says Spy versus Nerd. It must have been about espionage. Yes. Anyway, here we go. April 1994. Let's see what the new jargon is. AstroTurf campaign, a fake grassroots political campaign posited in Risks Digest as a potential future problem in net-based issue campaigning in which massive phony mailings are easier than ever. Hmm. That does actually sound like something I've heard. AstroTurfing is one of those net terms, right? AstroTurfing. 
Yeah, the deceptive practice of presenting an orchestrated marketing or public relations campaign in the guise of unsolicited comments from the members of the public. Yeah. So that one did, I think, catch on at some point. Next jargon we have here, chamber art. Term, coin, term coined by electronic music composer Martin Sabotnik, creator of the CD-ROM art piece All My Hummingbirds Have Alibis, to refer to the intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship that an artist can have with a viewer or listener through computer-based art. Chamber art. <laughs> Interesting. All My Hummingbirds Have Alibis. Do they? Do they, Morton? What's up with that? Should we look this up? All my, can I select this text? Oh, I can, wow. All my hummingbirds have alibis. But they're, they're birds, they can't talk. Mort. All right, let's see if we can find this. <laughs> I know, I should talk. I make, all, I make up all sorts of crazy titles, like today's show title. <laughs> the bogus donuts arrive later today. That's even more random than the hummingbird situation, don't you think? Ooh, here's a video of it. All my hummingbirds have alibis. Here we go. What's up with what's going on here? Wow, sounds like great music. Good job, Mort. Wow. Oh, it's this. Oh. It's this kind of music, okay. <laughs> My hand. My hand. Has touched. Close. Okay, okay. Now listen, this is a fine line, okay? Some of this stuff you could say is art and it's great, but some of it could just be a bunch of bunch of crap. I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes if someone really is creating something important or it's just something crap. What is there's all these videos of all my of all these these hummingbird stuff. Let's see. How about this one? Meet the new Google Pixel 7. Trade in wow. your old phone and save. Oh no no, that's not part of the music. Right. It, if it was, he would have predicted the Google Pixel 7 back in the 90s. Was it CD-ROM? It just looks like a CD. See, and I know like one of my favorites, Laurie Anderson, who was on one of the covers uh, last time, I think the February cover. She has music that some people might think is like this, where she's, but it, her stuff is good. It's the same thing. All right, enough, enough. I'm gonna give it the gong, okay? Oh, that reminds me. I, I was gonna talk about shaving cream on the gong show. Remember when they brought back the gong show with, uh, with Mike Myers as this fake uh, British comedian? And instead of Gene Gene the Dancing Machine, they had this guy, Albert. And he came out on the first season and sang the same song every episode. And it was one of the greatest things ever. I have a sad story to tell you. It may hurt your feelings a bit. Last night when I went into the bathroom, 
I stepped in a big pile of shaving cream. You know that song? Let's see if we can find that from the gong show, the reborn gong show. <clears throat> As I mentioned at the time, and it went for two seasons. They got rid of Albert in the second season, so I didn't even watch. Um, I, I need to see Albert, okay? But anyway, what is this, from 2017? Um, more shaving cream situations here. Here we go. The big problem was the, the celebrity judges. You just can't find the same kind of judges they had back in the 70s on the gong show. These sort of, you know, like, like Z-level celebrities like Jamie Farr, J.P. Morgan, Rex Reed. They were... There was just something about the original Gong Show that worked in a way it shouldn't have, and I know everyone wants to try to recapture that lightning in a bottle, but they did a fairly good job on, on the first season because of Albert. Let's have a sing along, shall we? Yes, Albert, take it away. It was just so brilliant. They did the same thing every week, and I don't know why they stopped it. I have a sad story. Tell you it may hurt your feelings a bit. Last night when I walked into the bathroom, I stepped in a big pile of shaving cream. Be nice and clean, shave every day, and you'll always look keen. I think I'll break off with my girlfriend. Her antics are queer, I'll admit. Each time I say, darling, I love you, she tells me that I'm full of shaving cream. Anyway, more, more on the shaving cream topic, yes. Anyway, I, I don't know about that guy. Is his chamber art concept? That music was annoying, right? Let's move on to some more jargon, shall we? Death Star Villages, suburbs around New Jersey where many AT&T workers' families live, makes reference to the AT&T logo, which employees have dubbed the Death Star from the Star Wars films. Death Star Villages? Yeah, that's back when there used to be an AT&T. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, it does, but it's not the same AT&T. Kevorking, after Dr. Jack Kevorkian. To kill something, look... Kevork that project and let's get out for a bu- for a burger. Or I read half the article, got bored and kevorked it. <laughs> yeah, I, that did not catch on. Just kevork it. The famous uh, assisted suicide doctor Jack Kevorkian. Yeah, that was a big that was a big uh, a big topic back then. Kevorkian. How about a rasturbator? A compulsive digital manipulator, a Photoshop abuser is a rasturbator. Shovelware. Well, this this word definitely continued on. A CD-ROM title that contains mostly pre-existing material shoveled in to fill the 600 megabytes of disk space. Kitchen sink title has a similar, though somewhat less derogatory meaning. Yes, shovelware. I remember that one. Telephone number salary, a seven-digit salary or project budget. 
Wow, it's over a million, so it's a telephone number salary. Yeah, I don't know if that. Are these, is this real jargon or is someone just sitting around making it up? What's this guy's name? Gareth Branwin? Tossed out, ejected from the chat room on America Online for violating its terms of service, TOS agreement. The ejection happy arbiters of taste who do the tossing are sometimes referred to as cyber cops. Yes, you can get kicked out of those AOL chat rooms. I used to go into AOL chat rooms around that time period, the ni- early to mid-90s. Anyway, th- that jargon was pretty weak. Let's, hopefully the next month here, May 1994, we'll have better jargon. Binary star configuration, or simply bi-star, any grouping of two things that are apparently inseparable for whatever reason, bike messengers and tattoos, totally bi-star. No, that's not a good jargon. That did not catch on. How about circling the drain? Medical tang, sorry, medical slang for a patient near death who refuses to give up the ghost. Used generally to describe projects that have no more life in them but refuse to die. That disconversion project has been circling the drain for years. Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard that occasionally. Could still be in use. Data mining. What companies that have huge computers do with their databases, extracting value, money, from seemingly useless bedrock of numbers, statistics, and information, data mining. Yeah, that's kind of a generic term. Floodgaters, individuals who send inquiring email messages and, after receiving only a slightly favorable response, begin flooding you with multiple messages of little or no interest. Floodgaters? Yeah, that doesn't really ring a bell. Uh, new consumer paradigm, ad speak for market, seen in a wired press release, a new consumer paradigm. Yeah, paradigm was a big, big word back then. Then, How about not work, a network in its non-working state? It's not a network, it's a not work. Yeah, really? Is that real jargon? I don't know. Power loser, computer user with the uncanny ability to screw things up so bad that either the damage is irrevocable or restoring from the last backup is the only hope. A power loser. So if a power user, a power loser. Vampire time, a schedule where one sleeps all day and haunts clubs and coffee houses at night. Refers to writers, artists, slackers, club kids, and other bohemian types on vampire time. Do people, I, I, I get the idea, but do people really use that? Hey, dude, I'm on vampire time these days. Really? It's kind of a weak jargon. Listen, these, this guy had to come up with so much jargon every month. All right? How about a voice jail system? A poorly designed voicemail system that has so many submenus that you get lost and have to hang up and call back. Yes, we're still dealing with that in customer service. Press 1 for more options. Really? the voice jail system. Finally, we have June 1994. Hopefully some of these will be good. Okay, I want a good jargon. Byte bonding. When computer users get together and discuss things that non-computer users don't understand. When the byte bonded start playing on a computer during a non-computer related social event, they are geeking out. They're byte bonding. Okay. Eh, gong on that one. How about the gong, the jargon gong show? I want to gong almost all of these. Chip 
chips and salsa. Chips equals computer hardware. Salsa equals software. Well, first we got to figure out if the problem's in your chips or your salsa. What? It's incoherent. <laughs> Did people really say that back then? What's wrong with these people in the 90s? Fine business. Amateur radio slang used to fill dead air space when you need to say something but can't think of anything like um or ah in normal conversation. Fine business? I have really... But what is it that they're filling the dead air with? Fine business? They say that over and over again. Fine business. Fine business. Incoherent. The hell's wrong with this jargon? How about a grassroots campaign? Cyber grassroots campaign assisted by fiber optics and computer networking. The online campaign by the Electronic Frontier Foundation and CPRS, CPSR against the clipper chip is the prime example. Oh, yeah, I remember the clipper chip. Was that going to be like a like an automatic like um, censorship chip in, the t- in all the TV sets? Oh, I, I kind of remember that. I didn't even find anything about the clipper chip. That was a big controversy back then. Do you ever notice that at any given time there's all these controversies? And then like a little while later, like it's not really an issue anymore. <laughs> We're always worrying about all this stuff. Instead of following up, it did it really was there really cause for worry? We're now on to the next thing to worry about. It was a chipset developed by the NSA as a backdoor to allow federal, state, and local enforcement officials to oh, it was different to decode. Okay, okay, it was not for TVs. There was something else on TVs. Yeah, I don't know. How about height technology? Silly engineer's term for la- a ladder. What? So instead of, oh, let's go climb a ladder. Let's go climb the height technology. Again, is that real? That's jargon? I, I don't, is it just, is this guy just making it up or do people really use these terms? An idea hamster. Someone who always seems to have his or her idea generator running. That guy's a real idea hamster. Give him a raw concept and he'll turn it over till he comes up with something useful. <laughs> this guy's a real, I, I like that one. He's a real idea hamster. <laughs> well, if one person used it, it's considered jargon. LRF support, an official sounding computer feature that can be used to prank a salesperson or a computer know-it-all. Does this system come with LRF support? LRF stands for little rubber feet. Um, Okay, so basically, if you're talking to someone and you think they're full of shit, does this have LRF support? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, we have top LRF support. They don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, (laughs) Finally, oh, no, second, that minuscule fraction of time in which you realize you've just made a big mistake, such as accidentally deleting your email address book in a non-recoverable way. Seen in Elizabeth P. Crow's book, The Electronic Traveler. So instead of a nanosecond, it's an oh-no-second. Listen, I think this is all examples of people trying to make up terms that are going to catch on that do not catch on. You see what I'm saying? What was it? Wasn't there some movie about teenagers and they're like, they were trying to make a word fetch happen? What was that? Clueless or something? They're trying to coin a phrase, right? What was that from? Uh, me from Mean Girls from 2004. 
stop trying to make fetch happen. It's kind of similar, kind of like a jargon thing, right? This jargon sucks, okay? What's for, I, I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, I did not read these beforehand. I'm like, I remember I used, I used to see this feature back in the 90s, the jargon watch. It was so great. And I read it, and, it turns, and most of it is, is like horrible. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for the uh, looking at the 90s with rose-colored glasses. Then you kind of face the reality of it. It kind of sucks, okay? So I saw some packages were delivered on the porch, and I'm like, this has got to be the shaving cream. I can shave finally. But it wasn't. It was the cigars I just ordered yesterday. So I'm wondering, like, one of the coupon codes I entered, did it, um, you know, did it trigger some sort of overnight delivery? Because this came, like, the next day. But no, it's SurePost. That was the same crap that, like, took weeks previously, the SurePost. Amazing. Look at this. I got a, God, wow, this is like, like, this is an amazing, like, uh, my own bundle. I have 35 cigars. I got a Grey Cliff 10 years. Got Punch Signature. I got, oh, this one is a Comfortably Numb Cigars. This one is a Partagas, some Partagas. CAO Anniversary Blend. We got some Cohibas. Obviously, Connecticut wrappers, obviously the Dominican, not the Cuban Cohibas. And we got some uh, Gurkha Widowmakers. What the heck is this? Oh, it's, like, it's, it's like a cigar bag that, that I got for free. A free cigar bag. Oh, instead of a humidor, you can have like a cigar bag. Okay, that's cool. Nice. I can't believe it. It's wild, right? It's very cool. My cigars. What, sh what should we smoke? Well, no, we're not. Well, I'll be I'll be smoking it while we're talking. You know, Kitty, what's going on? I should I should research the different ones. Kitty, this is my other cat. This is Vegas Champ. Kitty, why are the cats so hyper today? Kitties, <laughs> kitties, they're very hyper. Kitties, come on. I'm going to go put my uh, cigars away. My humidor is like literally empty. I need a cigar. Yes. Oh, I think we've got to try comfortably numb. I've become comfortably numb. Is that what it was called? I think it was called comfortably numb. Let me see. Do I have my order? Can I look at my order to see what cigars I got? Yeah, here's what I got. I got the Comfortably Numb by Espinosa Volume 3, Toro. Grey Cliff 10-Year Vintage Maduro, PG. Partagas Legend, Toro Leyenda. C-A-R, sorry, C-A-O L'Anniversaire Cameroon Robusto. Gurkha Widowmaker Natural XO. Punch Signature Robusto. Cohiba Connecticut Robusto and the Bovita One Year Humidor Bag. You throw 50 cigars in this bag and it magically preserves them for one year. It's amazing. Let me check out this. Com We're going to try Comfortably Numb Volume 3. Is anybody in there? Just not if you can hear me. What are they quoting uh, Pink Floyd? Espinosa is reimagining what draws us to cigars in the first place. If the psychedelic-themed, comfortably numb Volume 1 and Volume 2 didn't open your eyes, buckle up for this 
his newest creation, Comfortably Numb Volume 3. This new blend is medium to full-bodied and loaded with notes of earth, spice, and hints of vanilla on a smooth, balanced finish. A beautiful Nicaraguan Habano wrapper covers a flavorful blend of Nicaraguan long fillers with a Mexican San Andres binder leaf. The flavors are potent but smooth, issuing a medium to full-bodied experience that brings notes of the earth, spice, and hints of vanilla. Didn't I already say that? <laughs> Balance. They need to, they need they need uh, copy editors in this place. Balanced and well-made. Balanced and well-made. Sit back and get lost in some comfortably numb. All right, we're going to try that one out. Comfortably numb. Just nod if you can hear me. Kitty. He wants the window open, even though it's freezing outside. You want the window, Kitty? All right. You can, only have it, you can have it for a little while, okay, Kitty? You want the window? It's just going to get you know more difficult as it gets colder outside for this particular situation. But uh, look at this. There's this beer box here. You know you go to the liquor store and you buy a bunch of stuff and they're like, oh, would you like it in a box? And they give you a bu- the box that like the beer or whatever came in so you can carry it home. And so this is a box that's just a bunch of like random stuff because we're in the middle of doing our Christmas decorating. But it's a Southern Tier Brewing Company's limited frosted sugar cookie imperial ale box <laughs> the hell frosted sugar cookie ale that doesn't sound good 8.6 percent alcohol by volume so i'm sitting here staring at this this freaking box of a cookie flavored beer the hell how's my spaghetti doing it's doing okay it's going it's getting there okay some spaghetti Yeah, I guess I should have got into work. That, so maybe next week I'll definitely go into the office. Yeah. Vegas, what's going on? You gave you the window. Now what's going on? Kitty, come on. Kitties, you're very hyper today. Frosted sugar cookie beer, indeed. All right, spaghetti is done. This is uh, kelp spaghetti. You know, kelp, like seaweed. I got this uh, seaweed... Um, um, what you call it, like a spice, powdered seaweed. And um, <clears throat> it was just about done, so I put a little extra in there. Let's see how it tastes. Kelp spaghetti. I mean, the spaghetti is normal spaghetti, but it has a lot of extra seaweed on it. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Very seaweed. I use the uh, main coast brand uh, sea seasonings. This is organic kelp with cayenne granules. Yum, yum. Spaghetti is better with seaweed. See, just another another wonderful recipe from the Overnightscape Kitchen. Yes. That kelp spaghetti was so good. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, today's episode is called The Bogus Donuts Arrive Later Today. What a title. Wow. So the artwork is based on, again, so the two show arts 
this week are sort of similar. This is also based on a show art from, in this case, also from this past uh, February, an episode 1883, Maximum ah, maximum Thursdayosity, February 3rd, 2022. And it has uh, this kind of a street at night with a long exposure, so you see all like the lights streaking, <coughs> and a cutout of an old Overnightscape logo, the Overnightscape talk show from many, many years ago, which I also used last episode, a, a variation on that. And uh, so I've, I zoomed in. This is a section, I don't know where this is from, but you can actually still see, I think it's from India, actually, because you see some uh, Indian script, <coughs> even on this one. See, it says NRC cab, chow, chow hangi assembly, and then you see a sign for swagoth furniture. So anyway, I zoomed in, and I started playing around with curves in Photoshop, and <coughs> happy accident, look at what I came up with. Oh, wow, the gray background and the orange and pink streaks and lights. Stunning, beautiful, I love it. And... Um, so the title I, I was working on, I was playing a game called Slipstream, a game on Steam. You know, I have so many games on Steam, I hardly ever play. This one is uh, definitely um, inspired by OutRun, the arcade game OutRun from 86 from Sega. Um, and uh, so in this game, Slipstream, there's these rivals, and one guy is called, like, 80s guy. And he's like, you won, that's bogus. So <laughs> I was thinking about the word bo- <coughs> bogus. You know, like in the 80s, everyone's like, that's bogus. Like Bill and Ted's bogus journey. That's bogus. Like, what does it mean? It means something that's like, what does bogus even mean? Something that's not, that's kind of sucks. Right? So it's bogus. Not genuine or true. A bogus insurance claim. Right? So anyway, um, so I'm like, what what could I, what word goes good with bogus? And I just thought donuts. (coughs) And I thought... Similar to last time, the word rootin' tootin', how it has apostrophes and hyphens, and it's a weird word. I wanted to sort of own it and face it and kind of work with it. And in this case, (coughs) in this case, I I wanted to do donuts in that other way, because I do prefer donuts, D-O-N-U-T-S. I feel like that's, I know originally it was donuts, like D-O-U-G-H, like dough, like bread dough or cookie dough or whatever, right? Dough, it's like a nut made of dough, even though it's a, it's, it's a torus shape, you know? Torus, torus, a donut shape. Uh, and again, the word D-O-N-U-T totally looks phonetically correct. So why do you have to add ug in the middle of the word? But I know some people use that. It's an older way of saying it. So I'm like, the bogus donuts. And I tried a few different... I'm like the bogus donuts as a title kind of doesn't feel good. doesn't feel right. It's stupid. Um, and I tried a few other things. <coughs> and <coughs> somehow I, I came to this arrive later today as feeling like a really kind of an unexpected way to continue the phrase, the bogus donut. So the name of the bogus donuts arrive later today. Wow. I love that title. It's very psychedelic, man. What does it even mean? I mean, you can buy bogus donuts, like like imitation, like decorative donuts that are like made of rubber or whatever for whatever purpose. You might be one of those pranksters and give someone a donut and they bite into it. It's made of rubber. Ha ha. 
April Fools. That could be good for April Fools, bogus donuts. But you better have some real ones waiting because if somebody you really you know if you really want a donut and it's a piece of rubber, and someone says it's a trick, and you really wanted a donut, you're gonna be pissed. And okay, here's the real donut, you know. And make sure the real donut is like better than the fake donut. Anyway, I like the show art and the title. <laughs> Doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I like it. I love it. And as it is Thursday today, I think we are experiencing another. Another round of maximum Thursdayosity. It feels it feels very Thursdayish. <laughs> Whatever. It's very hard to, to, to like put it into words, but it just feels like a Thursday, you know. You know, it's still the, the latter part of the middle of the work week. Yada yada. You're experiencing maximum Thursdayosity. Now, let me look. Let me just double check. Where the hell is my shaving cream? This is pissing me off. I want to shave. All right. Let's see. They say you can track it. Nivea. Let's see. Track package. <clears throat> it's out for delivery. <laughs> okay. Can, can, I can't see the uh, the truck on like a map. I know sometimes you can. All right. Oh, arriving by ten p.m. Jeez. All right. Great. I guess I won't be shaving uh, anytime soon, 10 p.m. Can you imagine they're sending these people out on, on, on shaving cream deliveries at, at such at so late at night? It's not nice. All right. We're on the porch here. I got my uh, comfortably numb Volume 3 cigar gone. I was thinking, I, I didn't listen to this song, but right, it goes like, You are only coming through in waves. Your lips move, but I can't hear what you're saying. When I was a child, I had a fever. I have become comfortably numb. Nice. Yeah, this is a good one. Psychedelic cigar, man. The label's cool, too. It has... It's almost like a little miniature poster. In groovy type, it says, uh, Espinosa Cigar Presents Comfortably Numb. And there's like uh, gray smoke. The type is all wavy and magenta and purple. And there's like a mouth with a smoke coming out with like lipstick lips. And there's like a pinwheel, black pinwheel on a yellow background. Cool, man. It's good, though. I don't think it's flavored. Is it flavored? Hopefully there's no... Is there any psychedelics in this cigar? I don't know. It's going make me comfortably numb. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, um, you know, I know a, a few month or two back I did a show called Games, and I, I talked about the games I invented or tried to invent. And uh, I was thinking about the topic again because, you know, I do feel that the game Flea Devil Solitaire... Uh, is is finished now. It's it's working. It's great. It's amazing. I play constantly. I have an upstairs deck of cards and a downstairs deck of cards. Um, just continuing to play because, as far as I know, I'm the only person playing this game in the world right now. Right? Because last week was it just last week. I I gave the final rules in audio, and I mean, I, it's kind of hard to figure out how to play this game. Is not the easiest game to learn how to play. 
So I may, I think I am the only person playing it. But every day I, I continue to test it, it just continues to come up perfect. It's not too easy, not too hard. Every game is exciting, interesting, and different. And you're going for the high score. You, you, you play rounds until you get, get three strikes. And um, one, one of the most recent um, additional ideas I, I put in there was Snafu. Right? There's sometimes I'm playing and I, I, I may drop some cards and then I don't know where they were in the deck. So you really can't continue playing uh, knowing if you put it in the right place. Or sometimes I, <coughs> when, when I put stuff in the bankroll of the easy go, like I mess up and put an extra card in there and then you can't really go back. So I call that snafu, right? You know, snafu, it's the one you screw up. Situation normal, all fucked up. That's what it stands for. Part of my French. Um, you might say all fouled up if you don't want to be quite so saucy. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, all fouled up. <coughs> all funked up. There you go. Um, so I decided that it, when you're playing, and a snafu is, is just completely unintentional. And it's solitaire. So you basically are just, you know, it's just you against yourself, basically. So I'm saying you get one snafu for free. I was such a butterfingers the other day. I, I had a, snaf- a free snafu, and then I had another snafu, and you get a strike with another snafu. One thing is I, re- I really have not gotten a, a jamboree lately, but that's where there's no opening moves. It's a fairly rare thing. I have gotten them in the past, but you got to really double-check for the, uh, the flea hops. So, you know, it's not really a jamboree unless, there's a f- unless no flea hops are possible. So I feel like... Over the years, I've tried to invent so many games, and I, none of them ever came to fruition except for this one. So I want to go through. I, I did a more complete list, or maybe not complete, but a more extensive list of the games I tried to invent. I want to try to go over it and figure out, are, are any of these games worth, like, bringing back? Or I don't know. Because, again, I don't want to be a game designer. I, I, I thought I left that all behind. You know, I'm trying to focus on doing the show, the book, because I've been working constantly on the next version of the book. Oh, and by the way... Um, <clears throat> I do think I'm going to be you know, in the next PDF of the Onsug. I'm going to be using my work in progress file, which does include the draft rules for Flea Devil Solitaire. So you will have access to the print rules very soon this week, hopefully. And uh, I've been making a lot of it uh, progress. the The next version of of the book is going to be so much better already. I mean, I've really done so much uh, to improve it. Anyway, let's look at this list of games I invented. But it, it's not like I, I came up with the idea and worked on it for a little while, and then I just sort of gave up on it and went on to something else, which I know is not uncommon for people that uh, are looking for, I, you know, coming up with ideas because the initial phase of coming up with the idea and then the initial rush of early development and testing is the fun part, and then to really finish something and make something c- a complete project is a, this long, difficult slog that's not fun. And that could be said for just about any kind of project. And that's why I think there's creative people of a certain sort start projects and then abandon them because you get your fix, right? You get your, your thrill from uh, the, the first part of the project and in some way, yes, you'd like to have a finished pro- project, but 
you're getting your thrill, you're getting your, the pleasure that, you, that you're looking for uh, from the early phases of the project, and then why is it so hard to complete a project? I don't know. It's just the nature of the world. Um, uh, so this is just as I jotted them down. Um, Deluge of Primacy. This is a game I invented where you, you'd, you'd get these candles and you drip wax on a wooden board. And I have actual video of it on my, uh, my wedding video. And in fact, um, <coughs> there's a part of the wedding video I am going to release in uh, an upcoming video, tape land video called uh, Curly Gecko's Musing. It's called uh, A Cigar Mania. But it shows uh, Deluge of Primacy, which is, I was calling it Deluge. Deluge of Primacy. I think it's Deluge. Um, is the pronunciation. But anyway, I was calling it Deluge. Uh, yeah, these can't, par- I guess paraffin wax. I'm not sure exactly what kind of wax. You drip it and you can build up these towers. It's almost like stuff you'd see in like a cave. St- uh, stalagmites, stalagmites, right? Um, really a, a kind of a cool idea. And I was even thinking of gamifying it. You know, you're building these towers and you can build these bridges and <laughs> but that was something I kind of left behind. It's kind of a t- tough game. I mean, it's, you really need kind of a setup, and it's also inherently kind of dangerous playing with fire in your house, you know? Another <coughs> another game was called Marketplace 31. It was a card game. I think I may have some rules somewhere for it, but I have no memory of the exact exactly what it was about. Then I had Highglyph Overland. And I think it is, the rules do exist in the Osoa Week newsletter that I, I have in the archive. It was something about creating these symbols and combining them. And again, I don't really remember, but that was the name of it, Hyglyph Overland. <coughs> then there was the Unreal Systems Tester. This was from back in the 80s. And I had several games, including Destructo Valley, which was... Um, you know, sort of where the word valley came from, from the last uh, episode title. And I must, I think I probably do have these. It was a, it was just on a, a, in a manila envelope. <laughs> When's the last time you heard someone say a manila envelope? You know? <laughs> Is that even a thing anymore? And a few people, I did send it to a few people, and some people sent back, f- sent back feedback. But this was back in like 87, 1987, a long time ago. But I, and I remember one of them was Vamershi, I think. That, that that game, it's on the list here, right? Yeah, we'll get to that. In Destructo Valley. That's where you you put a pen on a piece of paper, then you push down, and it, it and it sort of draws an unpredictable line, and it's like a little tank, a little like a tank battle in this valley. I didn't invent that concept, but I was trying to utilize it. But then there were other games in there that I can't remember, but I can find. I will find it eventually. Then the game, I don't remember the name of it, but. Um, it, it's sort of related to, remember I had this uh, many years ago, uh, a little promotional item I created for the Overnight Escape called Portable Night. It was basically, I found, you know, in the craft store you can find a material that's related to felt, but it's kind of a, a, a more firm felt. And I create, I found this, um, this, this hole puncher thing where you can create circles about an inch or an inch and a half across. I found felt that looked like outer space, black with, um, you know, those uh, sparkles on it. And then I printed out these stickers of the Overnightscape, and um, it's, it was a product called uh, – it was a promotional item that I, for, for the podcast expo. And uh, so I kept experimenting with this felt, uh, 
And I created a system where you would create a car by overlapping two felt circles that had been punched out, and you could, like, race around. I felt that game, I remember thinking it had a lot of potential. This was in the later 90s, but nothing ever happened with it. And then um, the the sort of um, a number of games that Fonjo, F-O-N-J-O, or F-O-N-N-J-O are part of the name. And uh, the original Fonjo was a bead game where it had these pony beads that you can get at a craft store. Just the little beads with a hole in, in the middle, very, very don't actually very donut shaped, yes. But so many different colors, even metallic colors, even though they were plastic, like metallic, gold, silver, copper, clear, different clear colors, different opaque colors. And uh, they each one represented something, and you would use pipe cleaners to kind of combine a set of these beads into like a piece, right? And then you'd have pieces of paper like with with locations written on them. And the idea was that in some way, this was like an expandable game system where you could um, you could like fill up your whole like a whole room with all these different locations and all these different characters. It was very ambitious, but it kind of crashed and burned. Even though I was working on it for a while in the late nineties, I had like hundreds, if not thousands, of beads for my Fonjo work. And then, in one of my poems, for my my my, uh, <laughs> this is not a game, but my sort of. Uh, Abandoned poetry project called, uh, well, eventually became, uh, was it Think Fang was the, the name, one of the names of it, Superior Think Fang, and more, most recently the White Chalk Revival. But one of the poems said hello to the game. Like m- one of my poems was greeting one of my games. Like, hello, Fonjo, I am a poem, you are a game, something like that. It was kind of cool. But then there was a Fonjo Foon thing. F-O-N-N-J-O-F-O-O-N. And this was, uh, right, th- my whole concept of a set of ten objects, one of one kind, two of another kind, three of another kind, and four of another kind. And the idea that you could use any kind of objects for this game, so it's a game, once you knew the system, you could use anything out in nature, a rock, an acorn, a leaf, whatever. And um, it has something to do with splitting it up into two splitting that set of 10 up into two piles of which there's 60 ways of doing it including not splitting it at all of course that I felt had such potential and it was so primal in a way it was like such a it was basically creating something based on it was sort of this a very simple symbolic language right using sets of objects but I couldn't really. I tried so hard to make it into something. I could not figure out any set of rules that made any sense. Then I created Fonjo Foon Dice Game, of which the rules are in the vault in the archive, which uses ten dice of four different colors: one of one, two of another, three of another, and four of another. And that is a complete set of rules. I just don't know how good of a game that is. It's very much based on Farkle or Cosmic Wimp Out or whatever. And then I was really, I really wanted to create a deck of cards based on that because you have 60 cards with the Fonjo patterns on them. And I also wanted to create like, y- like a rudimentary like language because there were all these um, <coughs> simple vocabularies of like 100 words or 80 words, just like these word lists in, in the field of linguistics. 
and I felt like I have like 160, uh, sorry, 120 different basic words. So it could be almost like a way of communicating or a way of, of divination, or it was a whole idea, the Fonjo deck that I worked on for a while. Nothing ever happened with that. And here on the list, Flea Devil Solitaire. Yes, of course. This one, somehow, it took 15 years, but somehow I brought this one to fruition. It's unlike any other game out there. It's, it's, it's like, the, to me, it's like, f- just for my own personal enjoyment, it's, it's added so much to the day. Uh, you can play while you're watching TV. You can play while you're uh, playing other games. I know it's going to be kind of an uphill battle trying to, trying to get anyone to pay attention to it, but, you know, I think over time, I think people, because it is, I think, so good and so, not, there's nothing else like it. Like that other game was very much like existing dice games. This is not like any other solitaire game. So hopefully as time goes on, people will get to know it because I really think people will dig it. So then there was the more uh, 209 based games, right? So 209, that number, of course, that I've been obsessed with for so many years. Still don't know what it means. Um, but one of the big mathematical aspects of the number 209 is that there's, it only has only uh, two factors, you know, uh, uh, 11 and 19, two, and they're two prime factors. So the only numbers that you can multiply are 1 times 209 or 11 times 19. So I use this to create uh, a game called Obliviana Super Occult Amusement, where, and that game I actually did release, a, a limited release of in these black envelopes, these little cards that told you fun things to do. And then you would have to choose one of the 209, if you imagine a grid, 11 by 19, you would choose one of the positions on that grid. And uh, it just, uh, yeah, it just was not, I felt there was something supernatural about that number. I don't know at this point. But all of the management of the numbers and the grids and stuff was kind of, like, not really necessary for the whole overall system, kind of like in in a real-life adventure system. I think that had so much potential, but I couldn't really get it to go anywhere. And when I finally just decided to let go, that's when this show, The Overnight Escape, started. You know, one door closes, another door opens, okay? That, 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 That old concept, it really did seem to happen. Um, But... As an adjunct to that, I created a deck of cards with playing cards that had six, again, had um, 60 cards in the deck um, (coughs) representing uh, the 11 and 19 grid, right? So you could choose two cards. The black cards were the 11 and the red cards were the 19. And you could rand, so you could use that to randomly choose any of the, one of the 209 um, you know, zonal directions or whatever I, I was calling it at that point. So I decided to use that same mechanism as a board a board game using that deck and a, a board 11 by 19. And this game was also fairly far along, and I still do have a prototype in the garage. And I do want to try to um, re- uh, record or, uh, you know, make a record of what that was all about because we actually play-tested that, and it was pretty good. You used six-sided dice as your pieces, but you didn't roll them, right? They, I think they, the number on them showed how much energy they had. 
and you used the cards to move. It was a whole thing. I think it had a lot of potential. But again, what happened? I don't know. I, I, I gave up on it and moved on to something else. Um, oh, yeah, and I was thinking of, uh, there's a, a kind of a related game, but much simpler, that I was developing called Flea Bath, kind of a, using the word flea again. But this is just one word, Flea Bath. It's, it's a grid of uh, five by eight and just corresponds to the traditional deck of cards. And uh, the idea is you would put coins on and the more coins that were on, like you could play a card and get all the coins that were on that row or column. But now I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe I could use six-sided dice as game pieces and, and the, the face-up represents the value. That one seems to have some because that that was a little more simple, and that that one has some possibilities. The flea bath. I also made. Uh, yeah, there was that. Uh, in my failed science fiction novel, Severe Repair, there was like a a show that was definitely meant to be like. For, it was from England, but it was called Boulevarders. Was England in this alternate reality? And Johnny Pitch was a black and white TV show that these kids in college in the '80s were like obsessed with. This, this black and white TV show from from that version of England in the 1960s, and um, there was a there was a, a deck of cards like a tarot card deck, but the, it was called the S Event Deck. Then I also made another deck of cards that was like long and tall, and um, it was like printed out on clear clear plastic. It was a whole... I have it somewhere. And then I also made a, a custom Storm Codex deck with weird artwork. Like, there was a thing of these, like, clouds. And one cloud was all, like, had, had all these, like, sharp angles. And it, this guy's like, Odd Cloud, be gone. <laughs> I have these somewhere. I, should, I, I, I do want to preserve these in some way. Um... Then, uh, yeah, the whole thing that was called Zarball, Vamershi, or Nighthold Breakers. The game where you, you essentially use kind of like origami to create little geometric uh, balls that you can throw around. They have some weight to them, just using paper. And just sort of to toss them or to shoot them with, into goals and stuff. That was something that had a lot of potential as well. And uh, I don't know what happened with that. I, did, I actually did a little mini-comic called Zarball Special. I think I was still... Spelling it C Z A R B A L L. I don't know why. Like the czars of Russia, where the hell did that come from? So I did. I did produce a a, a document or a, a publication of that in very limited quantities, of course. I probably still have that somewhere. And then the computer game, Devastating Nightscape, of which I still have some notes, it was going to be a text-based game where you're just wandering around this empty world. It's like nighttime, and there's like no people around, or just very few people, and you're lost, and you go on. You take trains and planes and automobiles all around this world and stuff. And that's where the word, that's where the name of this show, The Overnightscape, came from, Devastating Nightscape. And I, I still have some notes from that game, but it didn't get very far. And then when I had my old com- home computer, the TI 994A, I wrote some games, even like a platforming game with this little, like, little fox character that would uh, go up on these platforms and then drop down. That was pretty cool. And then in Severe Repair, there's some fictional games mentioned. Like there's this place called Kong's Arcade. 
and there's some one of the games mentioned is like Lords of Pyromania. I think that's what it was called. Like these characters that all had different fire powers, like burning everything down. Lords of Pyromania. <laughs> and then at one point, I was calling um, Obliviana like, uh, well, Obliviana Super Occult Music, as I mentioned, that was like a game. And then I, I was calling it a harsh occult war game at one point. That didn't last long. That's kind of a uh, not a good name, but yeah. And then um, I think also related to Johnny Pitch in, in Severe Repair was these uh, this game. It was like a philosophical combat game where you would c- come up with these weird philosophies and write them down on a piece of paper. It was a whole, it was just it was described, you know. And um, finally, uh, I had this project called Area Obliviana, which was the uh, this. It was almost sort of like the Ansug before the Ansug. It was one huge work of hypertext, right? That's very 90s, being into hypertext. And I actually put an ad in Wired Magazine for it. And uh, it's a little one line of text. I think it costs like $700 or something. And I still have the Wired that has it in there. And I had, so all of my severe repair, my novel was in there, all broken up into different chapters that you could sort of, Access through hypertext, the poems, and then the Osoa Week, my, my weekly e-zine and everything. And I was intending to create a section that was almost like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books in the area of Liviana. It's A-E-R-I-E, area of Liviana. And uh, it would have something I really intended to do as kind of a, a, a text game, you know, like choose-your-own-adventure, where you would click, oh, do you want to take the left hand? The left-hand door or the right-hand door, and you would go there. Oh, and then there's another one that is in the uh, the web archives called uh, Sifiper Pathways, and it's kind of like a little fortune-telling game where, where you it, – it is it is like a hypertext thing where you um, you answer a few questions, and then you wind up at a, at a final card, Sifiper Pathways. And, in fact, that one was uh, was featured by, by the, the Looney Labs – the uh, tirade, the broccoli man. He featured it as his featured website of the week, and that's all the games I can remember. There's a lot of them, and uh, you know, I'm just amazed that I got one done. <laughs> but I just, you know, not to say I really feel like I want to spend a lot of time because obviously, to bring any of these to find fruition is an enormous task. But I think just preserving as far as I got with them, I really want to try to... I mean, that's not that's definitely not one of my top priorities, but I think um, to just preserve in some sort of document all of what I have left of notes or graphics or anything would be really cool. Well, still no sign of that shaving cream. Well, but they said it, it could be as late as 10 p.m., I'll shave in the morning. Yeah. Or should I grow a beard and mustache? No. I, although I could. Yeah. I could. If I really wanted to. December. Another year. 2022. What whatever happened to 2021? Like I remember 2020 was all that like the pandemic and everything. 
the COVID. And then 2021 was like, I guess more of it, but, and then that this is 2022. It's a lot of years. Well, I know for me personally, because I do this show, I, I, I consistently have been doing two episodes of the Overnightscape every week since 2013. You know, I've been doing this show since 2003, but twice a week since, you know, as my structure since the first few months of 2013. Wow. that So that format will be uh, 10 years old in a few months. Wow. So I know that even though I may not have a good sense of like 2021 or just say, oh, what about 2016? What happened in 2016? I don't know. But I can go back and I have a detailed record of all the shows I did in that time. So at least I can. It's sort of like a supplemental memory. But I know other people don't have that. I, I, I mean, it's kind of a unique situation for me. And I always do. Like my wife Denise asked me, oh, remember, remember we, we did this one thing? We went to that restaurant. I'm like, I have no memory of that. But I could check my show notes. I could check my show and see uh, see uh, when we did that. I do that so much. It's good to have. It's good to have a supplemental memory, I suppose. It's starting to get darker outside. You know, it gets dark so early now. So dusk is beginning. I have the fireplace on. The, uh, there's the Christmas tree over there. The lights. And the uh, tree topper. It's like a big snowflake with... It's all LEDs. Light emitting diodes, you know. There's a lot of diodes involved, okay? The hell's a diode? All of my, all the lights in my house are pretty much diodes now. Light emitting diodes. The hell? I may have a few incandescents. I think there's one incandescent bulb in my upstairs bathroom that like refuses to die because I have I have the uh, LED replacement all ready to go. And the other ones died, but this one incandescent is just clinging to life. I also think like the chandelier above our dining room table has incandescents, but it really is, uh, you know, a thing that has changed. You want to talk about life twenty, thirty years ago? You'd buy these light bulbs; they burn out every couple months. You got to re- oh, I got to replace the light bulb. The LEDs last a lot longer. At least the current LEDs. I know. In the early days, the LEDs were kind of funky, and they would sort of like, they would start to like, jitter and flash, and then die. Yeah, you know, but I think now the the LED technology is, is much better. But what the hell is a diode? I mean, it's like, do, 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 let's see, <coughs> like, do all do all diodes emit light? Are there are there some, are there some diodes that make sound? Are there some diodes that do other things? You know. D I O D E diodes. It, it, considering it's something that <coughs> provides off us <coughs> all our light these days, we should know what a diode is. Diode. A diode is a semiconductor device that essentially acts as a one way switch for current. It allows current to flow easily in one direction, but severely restricts current from flowing in the opposite direction. Uh, how does it make light, though? A diode is a two-terminal electronic component that conducts current primarily in one direction. How does that even work? How can electricity go in one direction but not in another? Hmm... 
silicone diode. Well, I, I, I don't feel like at the moment I can really, there's like 8,000 pages of, of definitions of diodes here. All right, how about a light emitting diode? I mean, it's a diode, I mean. <coughs> What's the other one? LCD, liquid crystal display, that's different. That doesn't emit light. A light-emitting diode is a semiconductor device that emits light when current flows through it. Hmm. See, I, I know I, I know I've read about this, and every time I read about it, it makes my head hurt. I can't. I can't right now. Let's just say there's a lot of diodes out there, okay? There's a lot of diodes out there. Diodes are very important to our life. Indeed. That With that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. It is much appreciated. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora. We're here in the OnSug, a radio station inside a book. Go to OnSug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. For all the latest shows, and click on a picture of the book to buy a copy of the current version of the book or download a PDF of the version as it was when it was printed or the latest version, because I do think uh, coming up this week, the new ver- PDF version of the book is going to be my work-in-progress version, which has a lot of changes in it. I think for the better. And mo- moving towards the next print edition coming up next summer is my goal, but it could be sooner. Who knows? I am making an, a lot of progress on it. But yeah, check out the site. We, of course, uh, the OnSug is a project that is non-commercial, has been going for a long, long time now. Technically speaking, it started in March of 2000 with the dawn of BluffCosm.com. So that's way over 20 years, almost 23 years now. Wow. Um, We have over 13,000 hours of content. It's all free forever. It's all available. We have a unique style, a unique format. We are kind of uh, in our own little lane here. You know, I used to be much more involved in in the mainstream podcasting world, but that sort of faded away, you know. In the later two, you know, two Ks, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I started going and, you know, sort of dropping out of the traditional podcast scene, and uh, just sort of uh, entrenched in our own little world here, producing this amazing book, this amazing archive of audio, meant to be listened to people in both the near and far future. We're leaving something behind, a record of so many. Th- I really do think that here in the Ansug. The beyond just being a great channel for entertainment and getting to know the different hosts and when you get to like certain hosts, you know, myself, PQ, River, Chad, all the rest, you know, when I say that, I feel bad for not na- mentioning everyone, but the book has a list of everyone in it, though, yes. Um, right, you can hear us talking for hundreds, if not thousands of hours. And we're like your radio pals, you know, these, these recordings of us and I really do think, like, you know, when you, when you hear, when I listen, I don't really listen to a lot of other podcasts, but when I hear podcasts, 
it has a certain sound to it, a certain certain tone, you know. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, a bit more formal, a bit more facadish. I don't know what you say. There's nothing wrong with it, but what you get here at the Onsug is something very different. It's a very different kind of vibe, very different kind of style, and the kind of uh, insight and information. We very much focused on the minutia of daily life, life experiences, memories of old stores and entertainment f- venues and shopping malls and um, so much stuff. I think there's a mass amounts of information in the Onsug that you will, is not available anywhere else. Obscure information. In, and insights into so many different things that I don't think are going to exist anywhere else. So that, that's just one aspect of the Ansug is it's just chock full of information. Uh, information that is, I think, in many ways unique to this this uh, radio station inside a book. Um, yeah, it's a wild project. And I've just you know been working on the book. I've been sort of glancing at old episodes, listening to old episodes, and it's just like... like as I said earlier, it's just a strange feeling listening to me talking from like 2004. Um, <coughs> I did. I mean, I think the show had a bit of a different tone back then. It's been evolving over the years. You know, I used to start off. This is the Overnightscape online at theovernightscape.com. You know, I don't really do that anymore. But I think in ge- I think you know what you know. I think in general, it's, it's fairly similar. But that's what's cool about it. You get a whole different, a whole different vibe, a whole different thing. The show has evolved and changed over the years, um, and uh, I love doing it. I hope you love it listening too. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, just go to onsug.com. O n s u g stands for Overnightscape Underground. Don't forget about Overnightscape Central, the show where uh, you can participate. Yes, this past week's topic was. Elegance, tough topic, but uh, Chad and myself and PQ tackled the topic. And uh, next week's topic, what is next week's topic? I know I saw it. Hold on. Uh, next week's topic is what we've been watching. And listen, everyone's been watching TV or movies. Well, maybe not everyone, but uh, that's a gr- that's a great topic. If you want to jump in, if you have something to say about the shows you've been watching, like you know, hey, I've been watching The Prisoner, of course, and now I'm going to try to watch the uh, The Prisoner remake trying to watch that Willow show, but it's been horrible so far. And, of course, 1899 I recently watched, The Devil's Hour. I do I do watch a lot of these shows. In general, I don't watch live TV, and I have not even caught pretty much any of the World Cup. I mean, in the past, I would have watched the World Cup. I don't know what it is about this one. I just really... The only time I saw even a moment of it is when my in-laws were watching it on Thanksgiving. I don't know. It's just not, you know, I, I, I don't like, you know, because when you're watching a sporting event, you have to watch those commercials, which drives me up the wall. I don't really watch commercials anymore. And it's funny, though, on the other side, I do play a lot of old commercials, but the old commercials are more fun than the current commercials. Or is it just the the, uh, the gulf of history between then and now makes the commercials sound funnier and better? I know on a recent other side, I played the commercials from New York City area in the 80s. That was so great, right? I know I played that one a few times. I'm Phil Rizzuto for the money store, <laughs> right? An, an endless Carvel. Hey, I'm Tom Carvel, Cookie Puss and Fudgy the Whale. You know, that guy. So many great commercials. Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. 
Well, I just I don't, I love them because I was sort of exposed to them at the time, but they they're all very catchy. I would think anyway. I like commercials from the past, not current commercials. I don't know that I liked watching them in the past, but they just sort of stick in your brain. These current commercials are all for like pharmaceutical products. It's real. It's a real drag, you know. Side effects include, uh, you know, diarrhea and death. You know, you watch these. Say, Wait, well, what? What are they advertising for here? Jeez. Anyway. Yes. If you have thoughts on what you've been watching, please do contact Mr. PQ River. Just check out the latest episode of Overnight Escape Central for all the information you need. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. And now, if only Phil Rizzuto were around, he could, uh, instead of the money store, he, 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 could, he could advertise the, uh, the other side store. <laughs> do you need weird audio? Well, you can get it here at the, the other side store. <laughs> That doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. How about Tom Carvel? Get other side, the other side cookie cake. Yes, at Tom Carvel. I'm not, I'm not hitting on all cylinders with this one. But you will be in a moment listening to this. Yes, indeed. The other side. Finally, the countdown had begun. 
we had spent the early morning hours taking care of the last-minute details, and now, at last, our journey into space could begin. Let's see now. I, I turned off the light, uh, shut down the, the heat, um, socks, shaving gear. Uh, I see you too. Did you lock the back door? Yes, and I checked all the windows. Good. Well, let's be going. I, I keep thinking we, we've forgotten something. Maybe not. Let's get aboard. After you, I see you too, huh? huh? Now, where's Norman? What? Where's Norman? I don't see him anywhere. Why, he was just here a moment ago. I thought he was right behind us. Well, where could he have gone? You, you don't suppose he, he he's running away again, do you? Professor, I'm sure he wouldn't ever do that again. Norman! Norman! We'll have to go without him. We can't stop the countdown now. But we can't just leave him here. <laughs> Norman, just in time. <laughs> oh, where have you been? The chart, Professor. We forgot the chart. I don't believe it. I knew there was something. Why, we would have been lost without those calculations. We would never have found our way to the Pulsar. We would have been lost without you, Norman. Good work. Thanks, Professor. We only have 45 seconds left till blast off. Please, everyone, we must hurry. Oh, come on. Oh, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Goodbye, Earth. We'll see you on the way back. computer units on board. Now, what do you suppose they're doing way out here? I have no idea, but this is very intriguing. Wait, I'm getting a life form reading. It's an intelligent being. An intelligent being? Wonderful. We must begin preparations to make initial contact with these creatures. Make contact? But what if they're not like us? What if they're dangerous?
Nightlight brings you Australia's own Norman Dempsey. Kung Fu comedian Frankie Pace host Rickshaw's Take That Takeout Theater. Rock your brains with Team Dream Debbie Gibson and Nightlight goes to the movies to preview Crocodile Dundee 2 and more. Join us for Nightlight's new filmmaker series with two bizarre offerings from Glasshouse Pictures and celebrate summer with the Cars, the Go-Go's and the Untouchables when Nightlight takes off to beaches, barbecues and bikinis followed by a viewer's choice profile of rock provocateur Malcolm McLaren. Stay with Nightlight for more movies, music, videos and comedy in stereo all night long. Kids, five thousand lizards, and Mr. Fabulous fight it out when Dynaman continues after this. Welcome back to Nightlight and the Adventures of Dynaman. And now Nightlight brings you Australian wild man Norman Gunston. This time he's out for blood. Horror movies of all time. Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's classic about flesh-eating zombies. Our story begins when a freak dose of radiation by one of America's unsuccessful space probes activates the brains of the recent dead. Made in 1968 in rural Pennsylvania, Night of the Living Dead is shocking in its graphic depiction of cannibalism. We now begin Night of the Living Dead. The following program may contain controversial material. Viewer discretion is advised. George Romero's classic, Night of the Living Dead, returns. And tonight's horror classic, Night of the Living Dead. Made in Pennsylvania on a budget of $114,000, Night of the Living Dead is one of the most controversial gore and guts exploitation films ever made. We return to Night of the Living Dead. Nightlight returns to Night of the Living Dead after this. In tonight's film, Night of the Living Dead, Zombies eat bones and intestines furnished by the local neighborhood butcher in the Pennsylvania community where this George Romero classic was shot in 1968. Now darkness descends on the Night of the Living Dead. George Romero was born in 1940 and grew up in the East Bronx where he became a fan of the macabre. His early influences dominate tonight's classic of unrelenting terror, Night of the Living Dead. An orgy of sadism made by filmmakers with no social responsibility. We return to tonight's classic, Night of the Living Dead. Bella's back and Night Fights got him in The Invisible Ghost. More after this. In 1931, the eyes of Bela Lugosi hypnotized audiences when he played the world's most famous vampire in Dracula. 
We now return to Bella Lugosi in The Invisible Ghost. We return to Bella Lugosi in one of his greatest roles as a mad doctor. After this, Lugosi has a split personality in tonight's thriller, Invisible Ghost.
energy cushion, rotating in metallic motion, hot parade with freaky circus girls, black telephone broken dial clear as chimney wine, covered in soot dust spoiled in a sun ray. The matches light easily today. In the dry air of red and blue neon height, pungent mail-order bride smells a sliced lemon. Mouth watering plastic, touch slicing yellow wedges. I'm alive. <laughs> and the black phone, it rang the bell chime again. Let's thank the gods that be for dizzy off-center friends. necessarily reflect those of the global television network. Shining. 
Say, suppose Zorka isn't dead. If he were alive, he would be seen and... Not necessarily. One thing Zorka hoped to do was to perfect what he called a visualizer. Oh, that's impossible. In the scientific world, nothing is impossible. Just as there are sound waves pitched too high or too low for the human ear, so there are light waves too intense for the human eye that might be directed to envelop the human body and make it invisible. Now that you have it again, we'd both better get out of here. The G-men are guarding the place. If they find this secret room... If they do, I have means of dealing with them. Here. This little device contains an invisible gas. Did you get the plan they asked you for? Yes, sir. This is the first step. It doesn't seem to be doing anything to the plant. And the second step is my Z-ray. Any living thing impregnated with this invisible gas dies on the Z-ray. You mean that human beings? Oh, a man first would go into deep coma. Then, that would stop one or two men, but more would keep coming. You seem to forget our iron man. Huh. We're going to inspect the house. When Lieutenant Daly arrives, send him in. Keep everyone else out. Someone's coming, Doctor. Nine Pebble Detector on. The Nine Pebble Detectors team is on the move, in Winter Cindy's Balinese hovercraft, with Magic Smup driving. No one knows the true origin of Magic Smup. Some say he was a garden gnome stolen by college students, and was brought to life in the dorm by watching the first episode of The Larry Sanders Show, on Betamax, where Larry does a live commercial for the garden weasel. Lazy Day and Odd Sun, Nine Little Pebbles, remote in a vast, deserted parking lot, huddle together, speaking in relaxed whispers, having a little meeting. The call has gone out to many super teams, must find the parking lot and separate the nine pebbles, moving them as far apart as possible, before it rains. Wet pebbles have a mind to deal in mischief on a cosmic scale. Doctor almost relaxes in the hovercraft break room, enjoying a cache of precious spoils from a recent time travel mission, smoking moonlight tobacco politics cigarettes, drinking Frutapia the grape beyond from his beloved Mannheim steamroller cinnamon hot chocolate mug, and playing Flea Devil Solitaire. He'd been a foot messenger in NYC, delivering a package to a superhero team headquarters, when he got caught in the middle of a super fight. His messenger bag got blown away by a wind and weather style hero, Blowhow, and he ran to catch it, finding he was running at hyperspeed looking over he saw a fast running hero, Quickelty, next to him. He realized he could copy the powers of heroes when he was near them, almost matching them. Afterwards, he kept a small fraction of the copied powers even after he left their vicinity. But his power mimicking came at a cost, his clothes were colored four different colors. Imagine an X and Y axis converging at his navel. The upper left clothes were orange, the upper right cyan, the lower left green, and the lower right purple. The laser bee is Winter Cindy's robot assistant. 
he is loosely based on the Charles Nelson Riley Big Banana Pen TV commercials where he wore a banana suit. The robot's design has stripes, so he looks more like a bee. He is hyper and silly like Charles and is in love with Winter Cindy, and never stops believing she could love him back. This story was written by Frank Edward Nora on March 3, 2020. It all came together in his mind during his morning shower. Then the dreaded hoops fender Zako, the green owl magician hand puppet with a copper top hat, bursts through the hovercraft's window, and with quickety speed, draws the three billy goats gruff on everyone's chin with his El Marco. With insane laughter worthy of the sidecar he grabs Doc's mug, spilling the sweet grape elixir all over the multicolor-garbed hero, and jumps back out the window. Insurance the devil girl, with a black and red outfit, whirls around with her pitchfork and shoots a blast of barbed wire super smoke after the puppet, to no avail. She had once been a god's intelligent sword, eventually granted personhood by that same god. Many adventures later as a male superhero with teleportation powers, an interdimensional accident reverted insurance to sword form. A devil girl named Lemon was able to use infernal sorcery to restore insurance to human form, but as a sexy devil girl like Lemon. Winter Cindy, who had been napping, is jolted awake as Magic Smup spins out while turning the hovercraft around to try and catch the mug-stealing puppet. Luckily, Hoops can't resist getting a pretzel at the pretzel hut, as the hovercraft bears down on him. He darts away at the last second, before paying, as the hovercraft crashes into the pretzel hut. The team jumps out the hovercraft door and pursues the green puppet on foot. Doc wonders aloud whether they should just let the puppet go and continue on the pebble mission. But the chase is afoot. The team bounds through the streets of the city, and spots Hoops entering a bowling alley, pausing a moment to finish his pretzel. Inside the alley, with the sound of pins crashing, and the smell of beer and junk food, the fiendish owl is nowhere to be seen. Until, what? Hoops is atop a ten pin, a bowling ball headed his way, a sure strike. With a nod to the team, he jumps down, picks up the pin and puts the mug in its place. In the nick of time, he escapes behind the pins, as the ball comes crashing down and smashes to bits Doc's beloved Mannheim steamroller cinnamon hot chocolate mug. The clouds come, thunder the darkening sky, air electric with its initial drops, and then the deluge, collapsing into the pavement, and the nine little pebbles, have a little drink.
Merci.